Chapter Fourteen of Hunters Out of Space. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elliot Miller. Hunters Out of Space by Joseph E. Kellyan. Chapter Fourteen. The two ships landed a few miles apart at almost the same time. They settled to the plain surface like whirling hourglasses. Fire spouted from them in all directions. Then their movement stopped. Smoke shrouded them and slowly drifted away. They were upon a reddish plain. Above them the red sun filled a twelfth of the sky. That sky was one vast swirl of crimson. Even the few clouds seemed to be on fire, and yet their instruments showed that the temperature of the thin air outside was in the sixties. There were no mountains or valleys. The giant planet had weathered down to one great curving plain. It was mostly red sandstone, but here and there were reddish carpets of moss and grass. In the distance were a few gaunt trees. They had seen no rivers or seas before they landed. Odin learned later that there were many muddy ponds left upon the surface from the remains of stagnant seas. He also learned later that huge reservoirs were underground. With the exception of the trees, the only thing that broke the monotonous line of the horizon was one great dome of violet stone or metal. It flashed like an amethyst in the red glare of the sun, and it was certainly man-made. But on that occasion Jack Odin had little time to look at the scenery. They had hardly settled to the planet's surface before Grim Hagen trained his guns upon them and began to fire. Flame enveloped them. Bombs of acid and steel shook the nebula. The battle stations were already manned, and Ato gave orders to return fire. For nearly an hour the holocaust continued. Both ships rocked upon their steady foundations. They were bathed in flame. Acid streamed down their sides, and rockets tore at them. Shells burst upon them. And then it was over. The two ships, scarred and blackened, glared at each other across a three-mile expanse that had now turned to cinders. And that was all. Practically indestructible and evenly matched, they had fought to a standstill. Neither ship had lost a man. "'See how it is, Norse King?' Gunnar said as he drew his fingers across the shaft of his sword. "'It's as I told you before. We have the same weapons, the same defenses.' I will use the blood-drinkers yet before this is over." There was a demanding buzz from the loudspeaker. Ato turned the dial. A strange, harsh voice was calling. "'You there, on the second ship. You on the second ship, answer!' "'Yes,' Ato replied gruffly. "'Who are you?' "'I am the headman of the city, the city within the dome.' How do you know our language? We've known it for thirty years. For that long we have been in contact with the Grim Hagen. Jack Odin was never quite able to cope with the passing of time on these planets. While the ships scurried through trans space in what appeared to be a matter of days. The voice continued. We invited Grim Hagen to our world. We did not invite you. Go away. I don't think I like his tone, Gunnar interrupted. Someday I'll catch the owner of that voice and make him eat his ears. 
We are not going away. Ato told the voice stubbornly. Then you can stay where you are. We have just witnessed the battle. We do not have weapons such as yours, but we do have a defense. An electric screen nearly half a mile across has been placed about you. Watch. They looked at the screen, and a tiny drone torpedo came winging its way from the violet dome. It came to within a thousand yards of them and suddenly crashed into an unseen barrier. Broken and blazing, it came falling down like a crippled bird. There, the boy said triumphantly, that is what will happen to you. Why don't you leave us? You are not wanted to leave us. Faith, he's a hospitable soul, Odin murmured. Ato's voice was shaking in wrath when he answered. We can find a way to smash that curtain. We want Grim Hagen and his prisoners. When we have them, we will depart. Grim Hagen is our ally. We have already sworn our allegiance. We have no more words for you. There was a clicking sound, and the loudspeaker died with a sputter of static. It sputtered again, and this time Grim Hagen's voice mocked them. There, Ato. You have your answer. You are wasting your time. But I am a reasonable man. You can have Maya. You can have the ship. You can have the prisoners. The few that are left. I will trade all these for Wolden's secret. Greed has you in its hand, Grimhagen. I know nothing of my father's secret. I do not even know if he succeeded. Then summon him and let him decide for himself. You are young, but two-thirds of my life is gone now. Your calculation is wrong, Gunnar shouted. Your life is nearly all gone, Grimhagen. The dwarf still lives, Grimhagen answered with a curse. But so does Maya, my slave. I had to beat her the other day. My boots were not polished very well. Talk on, Grimhagen, Odin growled. I am here, and I intend to kill you, just as I promised. Like most of your race, you talk too loud, Odin. Well, Ato, Gunnar, and Odin, I am going now. Please don't get in my way, or I will hatchet the flesh from your bones. Another click, and the loudspeaker was silent. They had landed on the giant worn planet very early in the day. Now, as time went on, they watched Grim Hagen's ship and tried to make plans. Gunnar was in favor of hazarding an attack on the barrier and then going on to the city. Ato and Odin voted in favor of waiting, although they admitted they could think of no better plan. Ato was sure that the nebula could plunge through any curtain, but he wanted to try that as a last resort. Meanwhile, a steady stream of tractors and men was going back and forth from the old ship to the city. Odin watched them on the screen. They were mostly the white-skinned people of Aldebaran. The bronze who had gone out to space with Grim Hagen had dwindled away. Odin saw a few white-headed ones, and once he saw a captain stop to lash a worn gray-haired bronze, who must have been one of the original prisoners. The poor fellow looked so old and frazzled that Odin could not recognize him. His heart grew heavy as he thought of these prisoners. They had done no harm. Their lives had been wasted away because of their loyalty to Maya, and the words of an old poet came to his mind. Think of a man's inhumanity to man 
and write your poem if you can. The day passed wearily by. Odin felt it was one of the worst days of his life. They had spanned thousands of light years, and time had slid by like a stream of quicksilver while they hunted through space. And now, at the last, they were pinned down on a gaunt planet while a triumphant Grim Hagen went back and forth from the old ship to the Violet Dome. Welcomed like a conqueror, and holding every card, Grim Hagen was the man of the hour. Yes, it was certainly Grim Hagen's day. Night fell quite suddenly, but the sky above them turned to the faintest mauve, and there was still a pale ghost of a light hovering over the plain. There were no stars, no moon. Jack Odin learned later that the people of this planet had fed their moon to the dying sun long before. They ate supper, as Gunnar called it, and then Ato and Odin studied some photo maps which they had taken just before they had landed. Meanwhile, Gunnar busied himself with the sword, and Nia, who stayed in her lab most of the day, brought in a few calculations on the barrier that imprisoned them. It's an old idea, she told them quietly. It can be broken by a steadily increasing force. Twenty days, perhaps, after I rig up the machine. Odin groaned. In twenty days, Grimhagen will be back among the stars. She smiled quietly, and now he saw how tired her face and eyes were, like the face of a child that had worked too hard. I think not, she answered him simply. Gunnar is always talking about fate. I do not believe in such, but all day I have felt that the end is drawing near. Remember, I still have my Kalis. With them, I could have been a huntress on some greener planet, another Diana, perhaps. Oh, she stamped her foot in worriment. We held creation in our grasp out here. We could have forced the last secrets from her. Yes, I will say it. We could have been as gods. And where is it ending? A mad chase after a madman. And for all the years and all the lives that have been spent on these two ships, time and space are the only winners. Nia went back to the lab. Odin and Ato continued their study of the maps. Gunnar was putting a fine edge to his broadsword. Then the warning buzzer sounded an alarm. Odin dived for the screen and turned on the controls. A long procession of mauve shadows was approaching. Already inside the barrier, they came single file and slowly circled the nebula. Even in the pale, weird light, they certainly seemed to be men. Ato ordered battle stations, and sirens sounded all over the ship. But the circling host made no offer to attack. Odin turned the receiver up to its highest point, and speaking brokenly in the language of the bronze, a voice came through. Men of the strange ship. Men of the strange ship. Yes, Odin answered. Would you hear me? We are those who have been driven out of the city. We would visit you in peace. We are called Lorins. Within a few minutes a dozen of the strangers had been brought aboard the nebula. Ato summoned Nia and the rest of the captains. The leader of the visitors was a man by the name of Val. He was a tall, lean man with a Norman nose, and his dark skin was drawn so tightly about his face that he looked a bit like a mummy. Val was over sixty, Odin judged. 
and though his wrists were skinny, the tendons and muscles on the arms stood out like taut lengths of cable. He and his men were dressed alike, a sleeveless shirt of walnut-brown plastic, dark peg-bottomed trousers of corduroy, and footgear that looked like engineer's boots with rippled soles. The tops of the boots were tight-fitting, and the peg-bottomed trousers were drawn snugly over them. Odin learned later what had appeared to be green moss out there on the weathered plain was a kind of thistle with cat-claw thorns. Each man wore a heavy black belt about his waist. Attached to the belt were at least a dozen weapons, several grenades, a pistol, another pistol with a flaring muzzle, a long knife, a glassy-looking tube fitted to a pistol butt, and a blue-black ugly thing which was shaped like an oversized toadstool. In addition to this odd assortment of gear, each man carried something in his hand which greatly resembled the frame of an old-fashioned umbrella, except that half a dozen variate-colored buttons were set into the handle. It was nearly thirty years ago, Val was explaining, that the voice of Grimhagen began to interfere with our broadcasting system. Some said it was God. Some said it was a devil. It came from space. It came from almost everywhere. We have been an intelligent race, but we were sore beset. Our son was dying. All that we had was our son, and a huge dust cloud in the distance. In times past our astronomers had seen the glow of millions of suns, millions upon millions of miles away, but we were never able to perfect a telescope that could bring a single sun into view. Nor did we ever have a chance to do this. The dust clouds surged out toward us every twenty years, and our scientists were able to use a gravitational beam to deflect a part of it toward our sun. In this way we kept it alive, and might have been able to do so for ages, but now the dust cloud is gone. Val paused to sigh, and then resumed his story. The voice, I mean the voice of Grimhagen, promised my people that if they would accept him he would take them forth into the stars. They would plunder thousands of worlds, and they would live for centuries while generations died. Also, he said, he was on the brink of discovering eternal life. He was playing at being the eternal Loki, the old mischief-maker, Gunnar interrupted and went on edging his sword. Well, Val continued, I cannot blame my people too much for believing the story. Our plight was desperate. There were those of us who did not believe him. He seemed to know too much. When according to our philosophy, the only wise man is the one who admits he knows nothing. I'm not a philosopher, Gunnar interrupted again. I only know that once you've thrust a foot of steel into a man, he does not bother you again. Please, Gunnar, Ato begged. Let Val go on with his story. The rest of the story I do not understand at all, Val said with a shake of his grizzled head. This Grim Hagen said he did not age until he stopped to conquer a planet and replenish his ship's energy. It was thirty years ago when he first spoke to us. He looks like a man of forty-five now. Could he have been an upstart of fifteen when he first spoke to our receivers? I will try to explain that later, Ato answered. For there were those of us who 
would not agree with the general idea. There are even some of the Lorans in the Violet Dome who think he is a god. We think he is an evil man. We have no desire to plunder the star. If he is so great, why doesn't he give new life to our feeble son? That is what we really need. Meanwhile, the people of the Dome are building five new ships, as Grimhagen directed. They have been working upon them for years. Good God, Jack Odin was thinking. What a hideous propaganda machine these ships are. To condition and instruct a whole generation while you flash through space in a twinkling of an eye? And that is all, Val finished with a shrug of his lean shoulders. Those of us who had never agreed with the idea were thrown out of the city as soon as Grimhagen arrived. We have come to join forces with you. How did you get through the barrier? Nia asked. Val lifted the umbrella frame. We've had had the barrier for years. There are strange beasts out there on the plain. This instrument allows us to go through the barrier when we please. Then we can go to the city? Gunnar exclaimed with a joyful war whoop. To kill and kill and kill. You are right, Ato admitted. Delay will only increase Grimhagen's advantage. To the city, as fast as we can. End of chapter 14